Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 4. It has been a little while since we've been uh, uh, in the book of Romans. We took a, a break for Advent to do our Advent study on joy to the world, and then I was gone the last couple of, of Sundays. And so we pick up now again with our study, picking up where we left off, Romans chapter 4. We'll be looking this morning at verses 13 to 25. I will say that uh, so, uh, last, uh, so uh, the last text we looked at was Romans 4, 1 through 12, and I have uh, a little bit of an idea brewing about verses 9 through 12 about infant baptism, and, and so I, I may be revisiting those verses at some point in the near future, so we might be coming backward a little bit at some point, um, but for now we are moving on with uh, Romans 4, verses 13 to 25. And uh, before we, we read, I invite you to bow with me as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on His Word this morning. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we come together under the authority of Your Word, I pray that You would fill us, O Lord, this morning with Your Spirit, that we might receive what You would have us to receive through this portion of Scripture this morning. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would deepen our faith, that you would grow us in our faith and strengthen our faith, Lord, that we might live in the hope that comes out of that living faith. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would cultivate our hearts, that your word may be planted deep in us this morning for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, Romans chapter 4, verses 13 to 25. So in the first part of Romans 4, uh, Paul talked about Abraham, and I'll say in, in the message, kind of give us, get us our bearings in terms of where we're at, but he was talking about how Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. And so we, we pick up uh, that argument now in Romans 4, starting at verse 13. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us. 
to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. You may be seated. The writer of Hebrews said that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain about things we do not see. And as I read a minute ago, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say that it was this kind of faith that moved Abraham to go in obedience to the place God called him to go, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he believed the promises of God, even when every fiber of human wisdom gave him reason not to believe them. The faith of Abraham was a courageous faith that trusted God even in the face, in the midst of things unknown and unseen. And this is the kind of faith that Paul wants us to have as well as he moves into this uh, last part of Romans chapter 4. This is what he wants to develop and to produce, to be produced within us by God's grace. As we prepare to hear what Paul says about the faith of Abraham, because that really is the focus this, this morning of this text and of our, the message, the faith of Abraham, it will be helpful to review, to give a little bit of a refresher or overview of where we have been in the, in the leading up to this, this point in Paul's letter. So what Paul has been uh, doing and arguing and saying in the previous chapters and verses. He's been talking about human sin and the righteousness of God. For, for many uh, chapter or for many uh, paragraphs, he's been lingering on this topic of human sin and the righteousness of God. In chapters 1 through 3, uh, Paul spent a lot of time driving home the point that all humans are under the power of sin. That Jews and Gentiles alike are sinful to the core. That there is no one who does good, Paul says. That all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All are by nature deserving of God's wrath. There is no one righteous, he said, not even one. And so in our own sinful nature, Paul says we, we cannot attain the righteousness that we need to be in the presence of a holy God. There is a standard of righteousness that, that God's holiness demands and we cannot in our own sinful nature, attain that standard. This is the fundamental problem with humanity, and what we most desperately need, then, is an alien righteousness, a righteousness that is not our own. And Paul says at the end of chapter 3 that this is precisely what God gives us through faith in Christ. He says, but now, the righteousness of God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. We are justified, meaning that we are declared righteous before God through faith alone. This is, one of, the, of course, one of the central doctrines in Paul's letter to the Romans, that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And so Paul wants us to see that we are made righteous in God's sight by faith and not by works. And then in chapter 4, Paul turns to Abraham to support his argument. You see, many of the Jews in Paul's day saw Abraham as a model of one who earned a right standing with God based on his works. And Paul turns the tables on them, and he, he turns to this hero of, of, of uh, redemption history, and he shows that Abraham was given a right standing with God, not based on his works, but based on his faith. God had given him promises, 
And Abraham in faith believed those promises as we read in Genesis 15 verse 6, which is really central to Paul's argument in this text. Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. So Abraham's righteousness was credited to him by God through faith alone. That's the main point of Romans 4 verses 1 through 12. And that brings us then to our text this morning. In the rest of chapter 4, Paul describes this faith of Abraham. And we see uh, in these words what our faith is to be like as well. So that's where we're going to focus our attention this morning. There are three main sections in, the, in these verses from uh, 13 to 25. And we see in these three sections the object of our faith and the quality of our faith. And then finally in the last section, the center of our faith. So we see first in verses 13 to 16, the object of our faith. Paul makes it clear that the object of our faith is God and his promises. Uh, more specifically, as it relates to the context of this particular passage, uh, it is God's promise of an inheritance. Uh, Paul says, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. So that's the, the specific nature of the promise here, the, the, this promised inheritance that he would be heir of the world. But it's through the righteousness that comes by faith. So it's not, by, not through the law, but it's through the righteousness that comes by faith. You see, God had made a promise to Abraham that he and his offspring would inherit the land of Canaan. And we see this, this promise woven throughout the entire Abraham narrative. Uh, when God first called Abraham in Genesis uh, chapter 12, he said to him, uh, go from your country uh, to the land that I will show you. And so in obedience, Abraham went and he traveled to the land of Canaan. And when he got there, God appeared to him and made him a promise. He said in verse 7, uh, to your offspring, I will give this land. So that's, that's the first real concrete promise that is given, this promised inheritance. And then God appeared again to Abraham in the land of Canaan, and we read in Genesis 13 that God said to him, look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and west, all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So go walk through the length and the breadth I am giving it to you. There again is the promise of this land that he would inherit. God repeated the promise again in Genesis 15. He said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. And then again, he made the promise in Genesis 17. God said to Abraham, the whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. So again and again, God made a promise to Abraham that he would be an heir, that he and his offspring would inherit the land, and that through the, that promised inheritance, all the nations on earth would be blessed through him. That was God's plan. Remember, he came to Abraham after the whole mess of humanity had unraveled again, Genesis, 1 through, uh, Genesis 6 through 10. After the flood, everything's all messed up, and God does a restart with Abraham, and this is what he's going to do. He's going to give, uh, make, a great nation, make Abraham into a great nation, give him a bunch of offspring, have them inherit the land, and bless all the nations through him. What a beautiful covenant promise that is. And Abraham received the promise of God in faith. 
He took God at his word. He believed that God would do what he said he would do. And that, at the heart of it, is what faith is. As Paul says, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. And the beautiful thing about this is that the promised inheritance is not then just for the Jews. It's not just for the physical descendants of Abraham. If the promised inheritance comes by faith, then it is given to all who have the faith of Abraham, whether Jew or Gentile. And that's the point Paul makes in verse 16. He says, therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. And we know what, what Paul means by that is, is all who have faith, whether Jew or Gentile, not only to those who are of the law, which would be the, 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 Jewish, uh, the, the, the Jewish segment, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. In other words, Gentiles. He is the father of us all. When we receive the promises of God in faith like Abraham, then we too are heirs. This is a huge thing for, for the, the, the believers in Paul's day because the, the Jewish community had thought, well, we are the ones who inherit the promises. We, we are the heirs. We are the heirs of the covenant promises. They, they belong to us. And now the Gentiles come in and Paul says, no, they, they too are part of these covenant promises. They too receive the inheritance. So when we receive the promises of God and faith like Abraham, then we too are heirs. The inheritance that was promised to Abraham is our inheritance. Not just the, the physical land of Canaan, but, but the substance of what Canaan represented, which, which is the, the whole earth and, and the, the kingdom of God. Because in Christ, the promised land of Canaan finds its fulfillment in all of creation, in the whole earth, for it all belongs to him. And this is why Paul describes Abraham not just as an heir of Canaan, but, but he says as, as heir of the world. And through faith in Christ, we share in this inheritance. As Paul said to the Galatians, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And because that inheritance in Christ is now expanded to include the whole earth, Jesus is able to say in his Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Like Abraham, the object of our faith is God and his promise of an inheritance. And so the question that confronts us this morning is, is do you believe the promises of God? Do you believe that God is who he says he is and will do what he has said he will do? Do you take God at his word? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. When it comes right down to it, do you and do I have the faith of Abraham? Maybe you've, uh, you've heard the story about Charles Blondin. If you've been here long enough, you, you have, because long many years ago I'd I shared the story. Uh, Charles Blondin was a circus performer and a tightrope walker, and one of his most famous stunts was to tightrope across the gorge at Niagara Falls. Uh, but he didn't just tightrope across it, which in itself would be an, an amazing feat. 
But he did all kinds of stunts to go along with tightroping across the gorge at Niagara Falls. So he once uh, stopped halfway across and he cooked an omelet using a small burner right there in the middle of the, the gorge. He went across the gorge blindfolded. He did it backwards. He, he did it riding a bicycle, right? He rode a, a bicycle across the gorge. And during one of his performances, after doing a bunch of these stunts, he pulled out a wheelbarrow. And he asked the crowd if they believed that he could push this wheelbarrow across the gorge. And of course, they had seen enough to believe that he could, in fact, do such a thing as they all began to, to cheer and clap and applaud and, 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 you know, to show that their belief that he could, in fact, push this wheelbarrow across the gorge. And then he asked for a volunteer to get into the wheelbarrow. And suddenly the whole crowd fell silent and not a single person volunteered because it is one thing to believe, but it's another to act on that belief. And in the end, he had his manager get into the wheelbarrow and he pushed him across the gorge. The faith of Abraham was not a perfect faith by any means. It was a faith, as we read the, the Abraham narrative, it was a faith that faltered at points along the way, but it was a faith that in key moments, did, that in key moments dared to get into the wheelbarrow. It was a faith that so trusted in the promises of God that he lived by them and acted on them in those great moments of testing. Even when it went, when it went against all human reason and self-preservation to do so. I think John Stott put it well when he said, faith is believing or trusting a person and, it, and its reasonableness depends on the reliability of the person being trusted. It is always reasonable to trust the trustworthy. And there is nobody more trustworthy than God. The object of our faith is God and his promises. And because he is unfailingly trustworthy, we can live in confident expectation that he will do what he has said he will do. And so again, the question for us this morning is, do, is do you live that way? In your life right now, are you living that way? Are you daring to get in the wheelbarrow? Or are you holding back like the rest of the crowd? You see, faith, faith is, is in those areas of our lives, in those, those moments and areas of our lives of impossibility. Faith is trusting in God in those key moments. Trusting him when our marriage is falling apart, or trusting him when in the midst of a, a broken relationship, a family system that seems impossible to repair, trusting him when, when, when our bank account is dwindling. In those key moments of life, do you dare to get into the wheelbarrow, trusting that God is who he says he is and will do what he has said he will do? And so the object of our faith is God and his promises. But Paul uh, takes us to an even deeper level of faith in the next section of our text. He describes in verses 17 to 22 the quality or the nature of our faith. So not only is faith trusting in the promises of God, but, but it is trusting in the promises of God even in the face of the seemingly impossible. 
Paul says that Abraham is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. I, I love that expression. You see, Paul is, is talking here about God's promise to give Abraham offspring, right? God had said that he would make Abraham into a great nation, that he said he would give, give the land to his offspring, and that his offspring would be as many as the sand on the seashore. Well, these great promises all hang on, on one thing, on, on one, one act that, that, that makes them come into fruition. They all hang on procreation. They all begin with the birth of a baby. But if you know the Abraham story, there was a problem. Abraham was 75 years old when the promise was first given, and his wife, Sarah, was unable to conceive. At that point, when God first appeared to him, it says, the Genesis narrative says that, that, it, that Sarah was unable to, they didn't have kids because Sarah was unable to conceive. She was barren. And so to an old man and his barren wife, God gives this promise of offspring, a great nation, as many as the sand on the seashore. And so they try to, to bring the beginning of God's promise to fruition. They, they try to conceive. And so begins that monthly roller coaster ride of, of building hope and crashing into disappointment. One fertility cycle fades into the next. And months turn into seasons, and seasons fade into years. And still, there is no baby. Not even the, the faintest beginning of the, to God's great promise. It was in the midst of this season of unfulfilled promise and longing and dashed hopes. After 10 years of trying, when Abraham was now 85 years old, that Abraham cried out to God in Genesis 15 and said, you've given me no children. And so a servant in my household will be my heir. And God said to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. So God confirmed the promise he had made 10 years before. And then he took Abraham outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. And we read in Genesis 15 verse 6, Abraham's response after 10 years of this roller coaster ride. Ten years of what seems to be an unfulfilled promise. Abraham's response in Genesis 15, verse 6, which is the key statement to Paul's argument in our text, Abraham believed the Lord. Put yourself in his shoes for a moment. How hard would it, would it be in that moment to believe? God, he said that before. But Abraham believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. So Abraham trusted in the promise of God, even, the even in the face of the seemingly impossible. And even after this encounter with God in Genesis 15, another 15 years go by. Abraham was 99 years old when God appeared to him again and promised that by the same time next year, the baby would be given. 25 years from the time the promise was first given to that point. Abraham's body was as good as dead, and Sarah's womb was long since dead. But as Paul says, Abraham trusted that God is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Can the God who created everything out of nothing make a child 
draw a child out of a barren womb? Of course he can. Abraham trusted that God would bring, would call into being this baby of the promise. He trusted that God would bring the life he had promised from his good as dead body and from Sarah's good as dead womb. As Paul so beautifully says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Now, against all hope, meaning against all human reason, against all human hope. There, there was no, humanly speaking, there, there, there was a hopeless situation. So against all hope, Abraham in hope, meaning there is divine hope. Even in the face of the, when it's humanly impossible, nothing is impossible with God. That's what the expression means. Against all human hope, Abraham in hope in God, hope that comes only from the God who is able to do all things, the God who brings life from death, the God who brings something out of nothing. Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. God said it. God is not going to fail. Without weakening in his faith, at least in that key moment, there were other places where you could certainly argue that he did weaken in his faith, but in this key moment he didn't. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb also was dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief in that moment regarding the promise of God, but was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. The faith of Abraham was a faith that trusted in the promise of God even in the face of the seemingly impossible. You see, Abraham weighed the human impossibility of becoming a father on one hand against the divine promise of becoming a father on the other hand. And he went all in on the side of divine promise. We see in Abraham that our faith is grounded in reason. It is not a blind hope. It's not a naive clinging to fantasy. But we see also, and this is critically important for us to understand, it's also a faith that goes beyond reason. If you think that you can reason your way into a faith, you are going to be disappointed. Faith, inevitably and necessarily, is a faith that goes beyond reason. Faith is a courageous trust in a God who transcends reason. Faith is a bold and daring step into the unknown. Faith is a surrender to things beyond human understanding. Just a, a flinging of oneself into the arms of the God of the impossible. As one scholar put it, Abraham's faith gripped reason by the throat and strangled the beast, telling it that if God is God, then nothing is impossible. In the words of Charles Wesley, faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to that alone, laughs at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. Do you have a fierce and courageous faith like that? Do you trust God so deeply that you believe what he says even in the face of the impossible? Or is your heart still bound by pride, unwilling to step beyond the borders of human reason? Martin Lloyd-Jones said, faith does not ask for proofs. It does not seek them. In a sense, it does not need them. 
Faith is content with the bare word of God because he is God. Faith clings fiercely to the promises of God, trusting them even in the face of the seemingly impossible. That brings us then to the final section of our text. So we have seen that the object of our faith is God and his promises, and specifically the promise to, the God's promised inheritance. And we've seen that the quality of our faith is, is trusting in the promises of God, even in the face of, this, of the impossible. And now in the last few verses of our text, in verses 23 to 25, Paul shows us the center of our faith. Our faith is a Christ-centered faith. It is believing in Christ as the one who died for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. After talking about the faith of Abraham, Paul then applies this kind of faith to believers. So he kind of brings it home and he, and he, and he, he applies it to us in his last section of the text. And he says the words, it was credited to him, were not written for Abraham alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. God credited righteousness to Abraham on the basis of his faith, not his works. And so too, Paul says, God credits righteousness to everyone who receives his son in true faith. He credits righteousness to those who believe that Christ was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And in many ways, that is, it takes a faith like Abraham to believe that, doesn't it? To believe that, that Christ died for our sins, and maybe we can get on board with that, but to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, that's where so many get hung up on. Well, did that really happen? Well, you know, isn't that kind of a fantasy? no. Again, the God who brought everything out of nothing, the God who brings life from death, is the God who raised his son to life for our justification. And those who dare to go beyond the borders of human reason and rationality and embrace that divine truth, Paul says, God will credit to them the perfect righteousness of Christ. You see, this is really the, the heart, this, these, this statement that Paul makes is the heart of the gospel, isn't it? It is knowing that we are sinners in need of salvation. It, it all begins there, and, and it's hard for many people to go there because we think that we are by nature good. We're, we're not. We, we think that we are, and we think that we're all, you know, all things considered, I'm a pretty decent person. No, the Bible says that all things considered, you are a rebel against God and sinful to the core. And so it begins with knowing that we are sinners in need of salvation and believing that God secured that salvation through the death and resurrection of his son. That's the gospel. This is how we are declared righteous in the sight of God. It is by receiving in true faith what he has done for us in the giving of his son. And when we do that, then the perfect righteousness of Christ is credited to us. Guilty, helpless, guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah. What a Savior. 
the center of our faith is believing in Christ as the one who died for our sins and was raised to life for our justification, which is what we're about to remember and celebrate in communion this morning. In one of his novels, uh, Wendell Berry writes about a man named Jaber Crow. Uh, Jaber was a small-town barber who had been cutting hair reliably for decades, and then one day a government inspector came in and closed down his shop. And so uh, Jaber decided to go off the grid, and he, went, he moved to a remote cabin in the woods. But his customers, who had been getting their hair cut by him for years and years and had come to, to know and, and trust the way that he had cut his, their, their hair, his, many of his customers followed him into the woods. And they had him keep cutting their hair, and they made donations uh, for him to keep his cabin going. And Jaber Crow described their coming, their continual coming, as an expression of faith. He said their coming is an act of faith because in this house on the river, I have no mirrors on the walls. He says, here, I am the sole judge of my work. You can't. You can't have the customers, you know, take a mirror and look and say, oh, yeah, you know, do, do a little more here, a little more there. No, there, there's, there's no mirrors. I, it's, it's all me. I'm the sole judge of my work, he says. They have to be willing beforehand to be satisfied with what I can do with scissors. Faith is sitting in a chair to get a haircut when there are no mirrors on the wall. Faith is believing in the one who holds a scissors in his hand and acting on that belief. Faith is trusting in the reliability of the one to whom you are entrusting yourself. This is the kind of faith Abraham had. A deep faith that believed the promises of God. A bold faith that trusted God even in the midst of things unknown and unseen. A courageous faith that clung fiercely to the God of the impossible. And this is the kind of faith that that Paul wants to be formed in us as well. A faith that receives what God has done for us in Christ. A faith that believes that Jesus died for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. In faith, we receive the rich promises of God. In faith, we believe that God credits to us the perfect righteousness of Christ. In faith, we come to the table of communion with a giddy wonder that we could actually be children of God. In faith, we celebrate that the guilt of our sin has been taken away, nailed to the cross. In faith, we are filled with thanksgiving that God does not treat us as our sins deserve, as the psalmist said, but has removed our transgressions as, uh, from us as far as the east is from the west. In faith, we believe that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for us in Christ. And so in faith, as we come to the table this morning, in faith we say, just as I am, thou wilt receive. We'll welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise, I believe. O Lamb of God, I come. Let's bow together. Lord God, as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, in this time of silence, I pray that you'd form within us 
or reform or strengthen or deepen. An Abraham-like faith that receives the promises of God that are ours in Christ. Oh, Lord, hear our silent prayers of preparation and response. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Lord, our righteousness comes through faith alone and what you have done for us in Christ alone. For as Paul says, the words it was credited to him were written not for Abraham alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. For those who believe that Christ was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our sins justification. Lord, give us a faith that believes and so rejoices in the wonder that righteousness has been credited to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.